Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are going to discuss the role of the deacons in the church. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay. Uh, it's good to be able to connect with you again and with our illustrious deacons here, uh, Deacon Dave Young and Deacon Mark Jansen, uh, who both work at, uh, serve, I should say, minister uh, at uh, Holy Angels here. And so it's an opportunity for us just to have them talk a little bit about uh, what they do and why and a little bit of the history of it so that, that people can get a little bit better sense of, of, of the role of deacon because I know there's been uh, even over the years, and we've been doing this, what, since the 70s, mm -hmm. I believe that we've had uh, the role of deacon has been kind of uh, re-emerged in, in our church. And uh, sometimes it's, it is spoken of disparagingly. Sometimes it is spoken of with great praise. Uh, but it's nothing like hearing it, you might say, from the horse's mouth. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing negative there uh, uh, intended. Uh, to, to just have folks to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, the whys and the wherefores and, and where it came from so that uh, people can get, a, I think, a healthier sense of the role of deacon, of some of the things they can or can't do, and to recognize that this role really uh, has an important uh, place within our church and, and within the ministry, uh, sometimes as opposed to somehow being perceived as taking over or those kinds of things. So I'm going to I just kind of hand some of this over to them right now, and uh, you can kind of introduce yourselves and just to kind of give a little bit of background, and then we'll go from there yeah. about the role and, and, and what maybe, that has to maybe do. Maybe say why you became a deacon or what pushed you. Thank you, Deacon Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I throw it right over to Deacon Mark. All right, all right. Yes, Deacon Mark here, just so you know who's who. Um, it is really an honor to serve you know, the, the parish as, as deacon, as, as Dave, will, Dave will say as well. My background and my road to the diaconate is, is going back to when I was at a parish called Holy Trinity Parish in Kewaskum. Um, our pastor there at that time was Father Bob Berghammer. And so we're talking probably about 19, um, you know, 1980, somewhere in that, in that era. Um, Father Berghammer was beginning to establish a parish council for his, his parish and asked me to help with all of that. So I became very involved with Holy Trinity Parish and what an honor that was to do it and work with Father Berghammer. And I don't think Father Berghammer ever really knew my, my first name, but one day he'd say, Jansen! And, and so I'd, I'd, I'd perk up immediately and he said, you really ought to think of this diaconate thing. And so it's something that I had thought about and, and just an extension of my service to the church. Um, however, at that time, I was working for the sheriff's department, and I was working weekends, and so formation, diaconal formation, really was not possible for me at that time. Um, when I went through the program, and it'll be a little bit different than Dave's experience, as he will explain, um, I retired from the sheriff's department in 2002, and at that point in time, it became possible for me to devote weekends to diaconal formation which had not been possible up to that time because of my schedule at the Sheriff's Department. Um, so once I retired from the Sheriff's Department in 2002, um, Father Britton, who was our pastor here at Holy Angels at that time, uh, said, now it's time for you to go into formation. And he was absolutely right. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I began formation, the diaconate, in um, 
probably nine, well, 2002 in that, in that range. Um, and so I began the, the uh, registration process and the admission process and then was actually in formation for five years. Um, and my formation was every other Saturday. Uh, and again, Deacon Dave will tell you of a different experience. But my formation was every other Saturday for five years. And so I was ordained in 2007. Um, and again, it's just, it's an honor to be um, part of this, this ministry and, and part of this ordination. Um, and so I'll just let Deacon Dave tell you a little bit about his, uh, his path. Thanks, Deacon Mark. So um, my experience is, is different than Deacon Mark's is in that um, I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. That's where I'm from originally. And uh, I was in seminary, actually, for the Diocese of Allentown in the early 1990s, but came to understand after a short time in the seminary uh, that I was not called to the celibate priesthood. And as I was leaving, I had a whole bunch of uh, faculty and uh, classmates of mine say, oh, you should think about the diaconate. And I was like, just because I'm not called to be a priest doesn't mean I'm called to be a deacon. Uh, over the years, though, uh, priest friends of mine from St. Charles who were, you know, went on to be ordained would come to visit and they'd be like, you need to think about the diaconate. And I'm, like, <laughs> uh, don't, I'm not thinking about the diaconate. Uh, we moved out here in 2002. I made some more priest friends at the parishes. And they started to say, you should think about the diaconate. So finally, after being told that by about the 13th priest, I said, maybe there's something to this because they keep telling me I should think about the diaconate. And my wife said, you should think about the diaconate. <laughs> so that was the final. That you know, Once my wife said that I should think about the diaconate, I did. And right, I, you I can't ignore about her. Right? No, I don't. No, I, you ignore her at your own peril. <laughs> um, so, well, that experience I, is the same for both of us. Yes. <laughs> So um, I entered formation in uh, 2008, uh, but it was a different program than what Deacon Mark went through. Um, they had cut the study time down to four years, the formation time. They made it a little bit more academic than it had been in the past. Um, we had courses that seminarians who are in theology would be taking, but they were shortened versions. So it wasn't like a, taking a three credit, credit course in ecclesiology, but we would have a smattering of it. Um, our professors used to call it like, um, you know, coursework light, uh, you know, enough in depth to kind of get something out of it, um, but not enough to get like some kind of college uh, credit for it. So um, then we also had the additional um, every other Saturday, but the, the, the academic work was on during the week. So we also met every Wednesday during the semester uh, for about four and a half hours. And that was usually two classes were in there. And then we had our Saturday uh, formation, and then I was ordained in September of 2012. So that is my story and how I came to the diaconate. So Deacon, you, Deacon Mark, you were 2007 is when you graduated? I was ordained, ordained in 2007. Ordained. Yeah. Let's say graduated, I guess, kind of graduated. <laughs> so you were ordained and then you went in like the year after. Correct, yes, yes. So, and, yeah. and, and Mark certainly was an inspiration as well, and that's the truth. You know, watching him during formation and... and Watching him draw closer, obviously he he was an inspiration as well. You know, to be because to be honest, the parishes that I came from back east, they did we had permanent deacons in that diocese. I just didn't happen to be in any of the parishes that had one, mm. so I had never even seen what a deacon did in a permanent deacon setting. I've seen transitional deacons, I you know, uh, at parishes I was at that were going on to the priesthood, but I had never really seen a permanent deacon at a parish. And so it was interesting to watch Mark one in that first year, as I has already started to apply to the program, but to kind of watch as he you know, fell into the role and, and how do you, in a sense, I mean, training and formation is one thing, but actually doing is obviously quite another. And so I paid as much attention to, you know, to Deacon Mark as I could and, and tried to learn from that as well. 
Wow, you were a role model. It's a little scary. <laughs> I think something that's important is to recognize that when I think of the deacons and, and the backgrounds that they come from, uh, my experience, you know, as as a priest is is so much different because when I began, literally, I began, you know, right out of grade school. So it's the the formation was is so different. You, you seminary, high school, seminary, uh, college, seminary, grad school. And, and so the, the formation is, is, was considerably different as opposed to the, the folks that don't necessarily come out of seminaries. I mean, uh, Dave, you know, you said you had a bit of a seminary background. And it was the theology level. And, exactly. Yeah. So as opposed to um, uh, Deacon Mark, who didn't come out of a seminary, that's what all gone, sure. Uh, <laughs> and... And so that it's it's realizing and maybe to speak to that a little bit of, of the Lord calls in lots of different ways. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, there's this belief that, you know, oops, you know, when I was a, a grade schooler, you know, I had an altar down in the cellar uh, in our basement. I didn't. Uh, or that somehow I knew when I was two year old or three year old, you know, that I knew I was to be a priest. I didn't. Um, that that. We come from different backgrounds, and maybe just to to look a little bit at that, saying, you know, when you think about some of the, the people that have been ordained with you, the different backgrounds that, that maybe they come from or experiences that they come from. Sure. Um, so I, w- I would say in my own class, which was a, a class of um, uh, 12, we definitely had varied backgrounds. So most of us had some kind of college degree. We had a couple of attorneys in our group, um, so obviously postgraduate then some postgraduate work. We did have a couple of gentlemen that um, had, I don't mean only to diminish, but had finished high school and then gone into a, a working career of some sort. So we did all come from different backgrounds, different family type backgrounds. I, I wasn't raised Catholic. I became Catholic on my own uh, it, when I was in the military, serving in the military, and I made the decision to become a Catholic. So, you know, there were people in our, and I wasn't the only convert in our class, but then we had what, what you know, people like say the cradle Catholics in our in our class. And you know, sometimes, even to this day, being a convert, there's sometimes where I'm just like, that Catholic culture, I guess, if you would call it, I sometimes am a little lost. Once in a while, I'm just like, oh, I didn't even realize we did that. And and somebody that's a cradle Catholic will say, oh, well, that's we, that's just church tradition. And so I'm like, wow, you're always learning something about the church, which is, you know, the beautiful thing about our faith is that there's always something to learn. You're never done learning. But um, yeah, definitely varied backgrounds in, in my class. I'm assuming Deacon Marks was the same way. Um. And I think that's one of the things that, that's most important. When I, when I went into formation, I realized how, in a way, how little I knew about Scripture and how, how much I had to learn. And so you really kind of, you really kind of get a, a sense of what people coming to the Catholic Church, <coughs> excuse me, to learn about the Catholic Church are going to, because I think we can kind of experience that to some degree, where we realize how much there was to learn and how much preciousness there was in the Church. That we still had to learn, so and still learn to this day, of course, as, as you as you recognize as well, Father. Um, but when I came to that point in my life where it was time to make the decision, as Dave said, of course, we do that in concert with our wives, of course, and that decision has to be one that is supported by not only our wives, but you know, in my case, our family as well, as my family was a little bit older at that time, um, and so to get the support of the family and. When that is in place, then you can go forward and, and continue the, the discernment process. And it really is, a, it was a process for me because when I considered it the first time, and, and as Dave experienced, 
priests that I spoke to said this is something that you really should consider when they would see the importance of serving the church in our lives and how critically important and a big part of us that was. And so our, our priests would continue to encourage us and say, this is something you, could con- you should consider. But then it comes down to the decision point and saying, is it really something that I am called to do? Um, my friends were completely, completely flabbergasted when, they, when I told them that I was going into law enforcement, that I was <laughs> going to be a policeman. That, that blew most of my friends completely away. Um, and just as they were recovering from that, I said, now I'm going to be going into the seminary. Well, then that just couldn't end. That completely <laughs> didn't end. Uh, and they said, you are going into the seminary. And I said, well, it's hard to believe, but that's what's happening. But again, to, to face that decision and all that goes into that decision, it is probably the most life-changing decision that we made other than you know, our marriages and so forth. Um, and so just to have the comfort level and, and the amount of prayer that went into that decision to say, yes, I'm willing to continue to explore this amazing path that, that we're on. Um, and, and, and praise God, we both got to, we both got to the end. Well, and the, and the focus has changed. Um, Father, you mentioned about the different backgrounds people come from. The focus in the United States, I can't speak for other nations that, that have the diaconate, but, um, has changed from where it used to be they only really looked for men who were already either retiring from a from a, a career so they were in their 60s maybe late 50s um, and then the church the USCCB started to really try to attract younger candidates and I don't mean 20 year olds but they were looking to, to dial back down into the late 30s early 40s to really get some some young what they would consider younger candidates and at the time it has happened again since we were the first uh, my wife and I were the first couple in the program to actually, uh, my wife gave birth during the program <laughs> for our youngest. So that the Archbishop thought was kind of funny. But <laughs> um, but anyway, but it has happened since. So we no longer are the only ones that have that uh, has had that happen. But, uh, you know, as a testimony uh, in my class, it was a, a range of ages, you know, from we still had the gentleman who had just retired from a career, uh, you know, maybe uh, late 50s, uh, mid 60s. And then, you know, myself, I was the youngest in my class, but there was people only a year or two older than me, you know, that were in the program that went on to be ordained. So there was definitely has been a shift from, um, you know, the the age range that they're trying to attract to to get into formation. And I presented at the Diaconate Formation Workshop a couple of weeks ago, and there's a gentleman now in there, and he's in his late 20s, mm-hmm. uh, married with a couple of children already. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the formation just continues. It's, it's evolving. It's still evolving. It's it, still changing. You, you bring up an interesting point that, and sometimes I think that, that people forget this, that, you know, that, oops, they're ordained a deacon, and now, you know, their families are left behind, and, and children, <laughs> all of that stuff. You know, the church is, is the primary focus. But as a permanent deacon... If I am correct, your family will, and your spouse, and your families will always, always be first, other than God. Yes. Okay. But the service to the church is second to, to and maybe to speak to that, you know, how did, how did your families see that saying, whoa, you know, dad's gone over the deep end here. <laughs> um, you know, and the fact that you, you both kind of alluded to it, but your spouses have play an important role in, in helping that that decision or whatever to come, if you could just speak, come to fruition, if you could maybe speak to that a little bit. Uh, I mean, that's absolutely true, Father. As a matter of fact, um, and I'm sure it was Dave's experience as well, as we apply to the program and as we begin that discernment process, 
it is very clear, of course, and is made very clear to us that this can only happen with the support of your wife and your family. Um, and it is to the extent that, in, in my experience, as the program existed at the time I went through it, the wives were always part of, of the formation process. When there was an evaluation uh, that took place, they were always part of that process. And they were interviewed as far as how the entire formation process was going. Um, because they, the wives would provide that kind of input. Said, you know, how is it going? Is it is it affecting the family? And is it still a good environment? And is it is it doing well with the family? To the extent that they they made it clear that if one of our spouses would ever go to someone, the people that are are um, administering the program, and saying, I don't think this is good for our family, the program ends at that point in time because it can only continue with the absolute, um, absolute uh, support um, of, of your wife and family, without question, without question. You know, um, Archbishop Lestecki, and I, I assume he tells other classes this, but I remember him sitting in front of our class when we were very close to ordination at this point. So most of us knew at this point we had made it and we were going to be <laughs> ordained. Um, but in a talk with us, he said, you are a deacon first to your family. And he said, I say that as I'm, a, you know, within a few weeks, I'm going to ordain you and make you a cleric in the church. But you are a deacon first to your family, and then the parish, then you know the, the greater archdiocese of the church itself. And I and I think you know some people might hear that and they might be like, well, what, that doesn't make any sense. Then why would he be a deacon? But that, what Archbishop Lestecki meant is you need to remember to minister within your own family because you can't survive if you're not ministering to your own family. What you take out to the parish is worthless because you're not really being an effective witness if you're not ministering to your own family. And so um, I personally rely on the strength of the, of the faith of my wife, which is very deep. You know, Mary's a, a cradle Catholic, and, and, and I know the word's thrown around a lot, but I mean it in the most sincere sense. She's a devout Catholic. She loves her faith. She loves the church. Um, and so I, I rely on that, her own witness to me, to strengthen my, myself, you know, as I prepare for any kind of ministry that I do, uh, because she gives a beautiful witness. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just think that... It's a dynamic. I under at the time I probably I don't remember it, but I probably at the time when Archbishop Lestecki said that to us that you were a deacon first your family, I probably was sitting there going, "Is this over yet?" I think, <laughs> I think we have a lunch break coming up, you know, and and I probably not the right tech, but I didn't forget those words then later on. And, I'm and going to have the Archbishop listen. To Thank you, I, I appreciate that, Father. <laughs> he and I are very tight, so I, you know that'll help. I'm sure. So <laughs> anyway, it was Deacon Dave, Archbishop. I'm just <laughs> just to be clear on that. But but it, you know, I, I really think you know years later as I reflect back, his words are so very true. Right. Because if you don't have a good faith life with your own family and you're not ministering in your own family, you you can't be effective as a deacon. It's just not possible. And we had, you know, one, you know, I had, you know, an advantage that just because of our life situation, you know, when I went through formation, um, Jane was doing childcare, so she had, you know, weekends off, and, and our children, we didn't have young children in our house, so um, Jane was able to come to formation with me. And so she just made that decision, not only was she supporting my decision, our decision, to go into the dac diaconate, but she also made the decision that if it was so important for us as a couple to be doing this, then she would like to be there for the formation and take in as much of the formation as she could. And so 
for all intents and purposes, she was there with for almost all of the formation that I went through. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, it was an extremely huge help to me in some areas where I remember doing one paper and I really just bombed on the thing. <laughs> and the, the instructor looked at it and he said, well, yo, whose class were you in? And I, I literally went back and, and Jane and I were talking about it and, and, she, and she went back to her notes from the class and looked at it and she said, well, here's, I think, maybe what might have been the perspective. And so we talked about it and, and I rewrote it based on a lot of her perspective and a lot of her input, all of her input. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, saved, it, saved, it saved that, that, that paper. So again, her, her being there as, as a support was amazing, but also just her, you know, her assistance and, and being part of the whole formation thing. And, and you know, that, that, that has helped us all the way through. And, uh, and I know that, that Mary was a, a big part and continued to be a part of what Dave's doing too. But we, we truly function as deacon couples um, and deacon families. Yeah, and the other thing that with having young children, what we found out is just how good of friends we really had. Because we had young children, and on a Saturday that Mary's presence was required, that she couldn't optionally come or not come, we would drop our children off at 6 in the morning at a friend's house and pick them up at 6 in the evening. Two to three children. Now, that's friendship. That's Christian friendship. And, and we really found out, you know, just how deeply our friendships meant to each other. And, and um, we're just so grateful, you know, to God for, for putting them in our lives because we wouldn't have been able to do that without some kind of help with the children. There was just no way around that. So, and we also had to bring a babysitter to ordination. <laughs> so, so my yeah, my youngest was only was barely three, and not even three, two and a half. And so, one of my tickets was used for a babysitter who, <laughs> who sat in the pew for about the first uh, ten minutes. And my daughter Catherine, whose special needs, was like, "I'm done with this. I don't care who's up there, the archbishop or not." So, so, uh, so we had a babysitter at ordination, which was fun. So, what would you say to uh, someone who? Um, you know, as they look at the diaconate and they look at our church and sometimes and certainly there are the criticisms that are there. But but someone who would say, you know, you're just priest wannabes and, you know, it's just another clerical position of power and authority and those. How would you address that, you know, from your vantage point? I, I, I tell people that if you if you think you have the desire to be a deacon, if you think you're being called to 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 go examine whether you should you know should enter the diaconate or whether you're called to be a permanent deacon you have to actually first be in love with the priesthood if you're not in love with the priesthood then in, in my opinion and it's only an opinion father you shouldn't probably be in diaconate formation or be a deacon because the first role of the deacon is really to be a servant servant to the church servant to the priest servant to the bishop and you have to be able to accept that role and and so that's what i think in a sense makes a makes a deacon not want to be a priest want to be it makes them a kind of a priest admirer if you if you will you know because they have to love i don't obviously not you don't always get along with every individual priest that you meet every deacon that's just not life life doesn't work that way but you have to be in love with the priesthood itself in order to support it because i think the role of the priest in in the church in in the 21st century is a very difficult one and so the support mechanisms that a deacon can offer a priest are, to me, extremely invaluable. So that, that's what I would tell people that you first have to be in love with the priesthood, not worry about wanting to be a mini priest. Or, and I've, those criticisms are valid. I, no, there's no doubt about that. There are deacons who 
I hate to say it, probably do want to be a mini priest or consider themselves a mini priest, but you really have to take that step back and look at the priesthood first. And, and what is it about the priesthood that you love? And what is it about the priesthood that, that as a deacon you want to support? And I, <clears throat> I think that's, that's real true. And I think when you look at um, what causes a person or what, what inspires a person to, you know, to, to, go, to, this, to, to go this life track, um, someone once said that, you know, that the church doesn't make deacons. The church just ordains deacons. And I think in a way that's true because, you know, I've talked to other people and, and Dave and I had this conversation early on, but other people that Dave has, has talked to as well that are considering the Diaconate program. And so you look at who these people are and the reality is, is that, is that you look at the person and yes, yes, that person is a deacon. He has the heart of a deacon. He has the heart of a person who wants to serve, as Dave said, serve the church um, and serve God first and serve their, their family but, but serve their parish and serve the community as well. And so really you look at the heart of the person and say, yeah, that, that person is a deacon. And, you know, and, and so he should go into formation so the church can, can ordain him. Um, the church did not make him a deacon. He made himself a deacon. The church, the church ordained him. Uh, and I think that's just kind of a, a good way of looking at it. As I said, we, we continue that, that attitude of service through, to, again, our, 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 our God and our family, uh, our parish, but of course, it goes into the community as well as as we are looked at servants of the community. Um, well, and one of the reasons why the church um, ended up kind of suppressing the diaconate as a permanent order, and it's only one reason, and I'm not a theologian, but I've done some reading on it, is that they really had gotten away from that role of service. They didn't feel that that was their the charism in a sense of a deacon, and and that became problematic within the church hierarchy because that's not how it was viewed for so many centuries before that. And, and then, so it kind of falls into disuse in the West and, and becomes a stepping stone, if you will, to the priesthood, uh, you know, as a, as a in a transitional sense. But I think that that's when Vatican II brought the diaconate back. And again, I'm only speaking of opinion now. There was this real um, hope that the diaconate would provide this sense of service to the church. And I, and I think that that's the heart, should be the heart of a deacon to want to serve and to be the servant to the church. Going back, I'm just going back because of your, in some ways, your unique circumstance is that um, at one point you were considering priesthood. Yes. I mean, that, that was a, a reality. Uh, Deacon Mark, not so much. So we, <laughs> we worry about him, but nonetheless, you know, he's still okay. Um, and, and you made a very conscious choice of saying, no, this is not what I am called to. And then later on, you know, at, I would say at the invitation of the Spirit through lots of ways, sure. is that you said, you know, this is something different. Um, this, this I, I sense that I am being called to. And I just, if you could just address that a little bit, because there's, there's uh, what I see is a difference at times, rather than the wannabe, that there is the reality of saying, I am not called to this. I am called to this. You know, it was, it's that's interesting you asked, you asked me that question, Father. I, when I left seminary, it, 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 when, when people would ask me, well, you left seminary, and, and it's, I hate to say this, they almost wanted something like, were you angry at somebody or something happened just made you want to just quit you were done? And I was like, well, I was the one that was angry in a sense because I was disappointed that God wasn't calling me because I really felt that closely that he wasn't. And I couldn't understand why. And I, I just don't, like, why, God? I, I'm here, I'm willing to be here, and I just, but I'm not, 
I'm just getting the sense that you're not calling me to this. But one thing that my spiritual director in a seminary helped me work through was the difference between lonely and alone. All of us can be lonely, whether we're married, whether we have families of 20, we can all be lonely. But alone is a different issue to deal with. And, and I mean that alone in the celibate sense. Can I didn't, I was having trouble differentiating, differentiating between the two, between lonely and alone. I was kind of making them one. And what my spiritual director was saying is what everything I hear you say is, I, I, want, I want to be with a family. I miss that family aspect. And he said, you're not saying those words directly, but you're, that's really what's coming through as we talk about things. And he said, and he, and he just tried to help me understand that, you know, he said, I'm, I feel lonely sometimes. My mom and my dad, who still have, you know, all of my siblings around, they feel lonely sometimes, even with each other. That's never going to go away. But, but the alone, how do you deal with that? How do you kind of, how do you face that head on, that alone? And I realized that that's where I wasn't being called to the celebrate priesthood because I understood that I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be a married man. I wanted to be, have children. I wanted to have a family. And so it took me a while. And it took me a while after leaving seminary to kind of understand that. It wasn't just the leaving part. It was another, you know, year or two of kind of thinking and praying about it. And, and so, and I remember my pastor saying, you know, just remember, you're out of the seminary. You're not a seminarian anymore. So you live your life the way that you should be living it. You know, if you feel you're called to go back to the seminary, then you become a seminarian again and you live your life like a seminarian. So... So this brings us to a good, good topic. So deacons are not mini priests. So what actually do you do in the church? What is your role? That's a really good question. What do we which do? I'm <laughs> le- which I'm going to let you answer. <clears throat> you, you can answer that one, Deacon Mark. <laughs> uh, no, that, that is a good question. And, and so deacons are, are called to serve um, basically on three levels. We're, we're called to serve uh, in, in worship, word, and 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 uh, and service, and so um, our worship is what we were talking about. Is we assist Father in the altar, and um, and so we're 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 part of the mass. We are called uh, on occasionally to 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 do the to do the homilies, um, and so that is part of the wonderful part of our, our our diaconal service that brings us to the altar and allows us to assist Father at the altar and be part of. Uh, part of the mass on a level that is really amazing to be to be honest, um, and so we we get to serve that way um, in in worship. In in word, we get to do things you know, like um, going out as Dave was saying when he went and spoke to the to the diaconal class to share what we're what we're experiencing to give our experience and give other people the benefit of that. Um, to go in and talk to different groups, I was in the kindergarten class the other day, um, and reading the story of Noah's Ark. Um, that's what that's the word. I mean, that's bringing the word to to kindergartners, um, right on my intellectual level, by the way. And, so <laughs> very well. and there's probably good pictures. A great picture, oh, yeah. yeah. But I was re- I was even reminded, you know, Deacon Mark, we didn't get to see the pictures. So I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I have to take some lessons in doing that. Yeah. But that and, and other levels as well. But just being able to go out into the community and share the word of God. Uh, and make sure that they that people see deacons as not only people that that serve on the altar, although it's an, of course an important part of what we do, but that we're also out in the community and spreading the word of God and the good news on the community as much as we can. Um, and so then and then our just service is just the, the aspect of, of where where else can we serve? Um, 
and I know we've looked at a lot of different options and and so being part of um, of groups like the Knights of Columbus and those kinds of things and, and serving the community in, in other ways. And one way, I work in the Washington County Jail working with the, right. the um, incarcerated right. youth. Um, uh, that has, dynamic has changed a little bit because of the pandemic, but I mean, I have done that since ordination. Um, they try to encourage you, at least in the more recent uh, ordaining classes, to have a ministry outside of your parish hmm. that doesn't belong to the parish. And so that's one reason why I kind of gravitated towards the, the um, jail ministry. I just thought that was a great way to, uh, uh, to get involved with that. And I, while I would have no problem working with the adult population if I was asked to do so, I, there's just something that draws me to work with the youth. And, and I call it a ministry of listening because that's really what these kids have had already a short lifetime of nobody listening to them. And so I don't walk in their, their cell area and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with God? That's not what they want to hear. Do we get to the faith talk? Yes, we do get to faith talk. But, but first, I just ask them, what's going on? Why are you here? And, and, and how can you work on not being here again? And then we talk about how maybe God could help support that and, and support better decisions and a faith life could help support better decisions. But, it's that, but that ministry outside of, again, outside of the parish um, and, and you're not required to have that. It's just something they were encouraging you to, to look into. So, and at Holy Angels, Deacon Mark, you actually work here. Right. But that's not always common, or is that common? That's uncommon. uncommon. Um, every, every deacon, you know, has, you know, has, as Dave said, a life outside of the, of the, the diaconate. Um, in my class, I had a variety of, of, vocations outside of the diaconate. You know, one of my good friends this day was a, is an FBI agent that I, I don't get, he's in Washington, so I don't get to talk to him very often. Um, but a variety of backgrounds and a variety of, of uh, vocations outside the diaconate. Um, but it is a little unusual for a person to be, whose job is working for the church. <laughs> and so my situation is a little bit different in that I've been on staff here at Holy Angels uh, since um, since I was ordained, because Father Britton told me that. He said, and once you're ordained, he said, you're coming to work for me. And so I, was, I appreciated him telling <laughs> oh, me that. Yeah. <clears throat> At least you, know. you knew what you were getting into. Exactly right, exactly right. Um, <clears throat> but so then I came to the parish and worked in different roles as you know, youth minister, volunteer coordinator, doing those kinds of things that Father needed at the time. Um, so, yeah, that's a little unique in that my job is also working for the church. But as, as I do and Deacon Dave does, we have covenants with the parish and that we sit down and, and, and craft with our wives, first of all, and then we sit down with Father and we go over the, uh, we go over the covenant. And that outlines the, the diaconal service that we do to the parish. Uh, and that is service for which, you know, we're, we're not compensated for that. That is our diaconal service to the parish and the community. And that's kind of outlined in what we call a covenant. So as a deacon, you can do baptisms, right? They, they always say... Um, Baptize, marry, and bury. I know <laughs> I that's very that's... irreverent, but... Uh, <laughs> it's a good way to remember it. <laughs> but it's a good way to, yeah. So <laughs> baptisms, like you said, Lindsay, and then we're able to um, witness uh, marriages within the church, and we can uh, conduct funeral services as well. So Not with the Mass, though, no, obviously, right. because and, you can't... Generally, if a deacon conducts a funeral service, it's outside of the context right. of Mass. Mm -hmm. uh, it certainly wouldn't be unusual for there to be a funeral Mass, but maybe the deacon have the homily if they knew the person very well, or... If it was the family's request, something like that. But uh, generally speaking, then, if it's a funeral mass, then the priest is obviously the person uh, conducting the service then. Sure. When you're ordained deacon, are you ordained 
to serve a parish or are you ordained to be at the service of the bishop who then places you where the bishop needs you? Well, technically, that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> um, you it, Here in this diocese, I know it's done differently in many dioceses. In some dioceses, they will place the deacon geographically convenient for the deacon in a parish that has a need. Hmm. Here in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, we still place deacons in the parish where they came from. So um, so I knew where I was going to be. But eventually, we could, we could really be moved at the bishop's request. So let's just say that St. Francis Cabrini, who is our sister parish here in, in town, along with St. Mary's, they had, they had no deacons, and, and the pastor was like, I need a deacon very badly. The bishop might approach, or the bishop's office might approach one of either Deacon Mark and I say, would you consider moving your covenant over to the other parish? So, But he's not going to say, would you consider moving down to Kenosha and taking <laughs> right, care right. of St. Elizabeth's in Kenosha? That's just, he wouldn't do something like that. It would be geographically convenient. I think when, we, when you look at the diaconate, I, I know that my experience, uh, I've had various experiences with deacons, and uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, but one of the, one of the graces that, that I have seen in, in working with both Deacon Mark and Deacon Dave is the fact that when they, they do come from a, a rich backgrounds, uh, I swear that Deacon Mark knows everybody in West Bend <laughs> and the surrounding area. That's because he worked for the sheriff's and, and, and everything they've done, good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's also recognizing the difference between, you know, having him work here on staff. Obviously, there is, there is the, the personal relationship that develops over time. But, but one of the things I also appreciate with Deacon Dave is the fact that, you know, having a family and or I should say younger, uh, younger children, younger child that that has special still needs. Still one at home, yes. Still one at home, is that we have had that discussion. I might say of of wanting to serve, but knowing your family comes first. Mm -hmm. Yes. And 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 sometimes you know, reminding each other, your family comes first. I know you want to be here. I know you want to be part of this. Your family comes first. And, and it's, it's just sometimes the, a reminder, sometimes for you, but also a reminder for me. I don't have a family to, 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 in the sense that comes first. Is that for me, really, and, and, and in so many ways, my approach is that my parish is my family. I mean, yes, I have siblings and whatever, but my parish is my family. And, and it's being able to serve and saying, how do I do that? Because I am also a firm believer that... Uh, a pastor can never do that alone. And, and any pastor who believes, in my humble opinion, that they can somehow do it alone is, is doomed to failure. It, it just, they are, because they can't. And they're not even supposed to in being able to say, you need to work with, with people who serve in different capacities, whether it is lay staff who serve in lots of capacities and make things happen, whether it is the diaconate who serve in capacities to help make things happen, and saying only, I believe only if we approach it that way, each person serving in the capacity that they are called to serve, then are we, are we, able, are we going to be able to truly serve the people of God? And, and I am convinced of that. And, 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 you know, and it's when we remember that, whether as an ordained priest, deacon, or a lay minister who was, who mm -hmm. and I do consider that, you know, the lay staff to be lay ministers mm -hmm. who serve the church Absolutely. and serve the people of God. 
I believe only when we remember that and how we are able to work together, rather than thinking that somehow, you know, it's about power or position or what I can do and you can't do and neener, neener, neener. <laughs> uh, you know, and saying, there's plenty of work for everybody. Right. And there's plenty of ministry to be done. Let's be about it. Let's support each other in these in these marvelous ways that we minister, and let's serve the people of God well. So it's just uh, that has been the grace that I believe that the two of you have certainly brought. You know, as brought to me as I have, was assigned to holy angels, and uh, and knowing that's again sometimes that's not always the case. That's not always the reality, and 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 you work through it as best you can. Uh, but boy, I just, um, to me, it's about working together and not, not alone. It, well, and I think we're fortunate in Holy Angels, like, I obviously can't speak for the Archdiocese, every parish, but we do have a very strong lay staff that just, yeah. I think, work tirelessly to, you know, not just for liturgy. I mean, liturgy is the real, the one that everyone sees. I mean, I hate to say that, but that's the, that's the, what, the most visible, you know, presence for the lay staff, you know, or lay volunteers, but, but they do so much more. And, and so, it makes ministering here as a deacon and I think as a, as a pastor, as you've already alluded to, much so much easier because the lay staff is just yes. so involved, so committed. How can it not be easier? I mean, just their commitment level alone makes it easier. Oh, well, for all the lay staff here, I will say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me in this room. So. No, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. true. Well, I think that's a great conversation. Anything else you guys want to add? No, we're good. Um, again, I think we're, we we both you know share the, the the opinion that we're just very honored to be part of, of this parish. And again, as Dave said, working with the staff that we have, and and of course the pastor that we have, of course, of course, <laughs> of course, that Father's going to be a dollar after the <laughs> um, But no, we it's it, it, it's an honor to serve, and we are just very grateful for this for the staff here, and 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 so we're just grateful to be a you know a, a small part of Holy Angels Parish. Absolutely, great. It is a privilege. Well, this was a very interesting conversation. We'll have to have you guys back some point. Um, we could do that. Yes. We're going to leave it there for today. For today. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next time. Bye.